We're going to spend a lot of time in Matthew chapter 2 today. We're going to visit with the Magi. Uh, traditionally, uh, the Magi haven't actually come to Christmas yet. Uh, so um, everyone, they shouldn't even be at your nativities. You know? I don't know if you do that in your, your family yet on Epiphany, January 7th, you, you come out with your, uh, your or 6th, you come out with your, your camels and your Magi. Mine are always there uh, after Thanksgiving. They, they make the trip early. They're, uh, they're not late. Um, but I got to experience Epiphany one time in, in Rome, and that was very exciting because that's when all the gifts and everything happens then, not on Christmas. So we left like the day after Christmas, and we got to experience it with a local Italian church and every, talking about the potluck to end all potlucks. All right, it was amazing, but it was just such a fun, exciting experience because that's when their, their whole the Christmas gift exchange stuff happens is, is later in the week. We're going to center in on these magi today and actually what's happening after Jesus is born. So we're not going to be uh, at the manger today. We're going to be uh, past that uh, since, you know, that's kind of over now. But I really want to center in on these ideas because there's a lot to be taught and to extrapolate from this uh, Matthew chapter 2. I think it's an often overlooked part of the Christmas story. Yeah, the Magi came, they gave the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, whatever that is, and then we just go on with our, our day. We, we stop there, and then we skip in the Bible to later when Jesus is talking. We kind of just skip this over. But there's a lot of things happening right here in this overlooked passage that uh, we need to kind of examine. Matthew is a book of the Bible that is written, the Gospel of Matthew is written primarily for Jewish people. Its audience, it includes longer genealogies, longer, uh, more Jewish stuff in, in the whole way it's uh, constructed. It is, it is primarily for Jewish readers. Luke is more for Gentile readers. John is for everybody and for, uh, for everybody. John is just great. But you know, it, it's just the, Mark is the Cliff Notes, Cliff Notes version of the gospel. It is Peter is the one who probably kind of pinned it, and Mark wrote it down for him as Peter's talking. So you can imagine Peter's like, and this happened, this happened, this happened, this happened. Let's go do fishing, all right? Uh, we're late. You know, they're biting out there. Let's go. Uh, that's, that's how that works. But Matthew is written for the Jewish audience, and so you get this kind of different tint and flavor to how all of it works. Today, I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to get very historical on you. Uh, so if you want to take out notes, um, if you are coming to church the day, a couple days after Christmas, you are like the tried and true. You are the Marines. You're the ones who, who say, you know, we're going to storm that beach. So you're going to get a little bit more uh, into the scripture today than we normally do. Um, but you're going to get a little bit more of what our men's Bible study does instead of, uh, uh, in, so it's going to have a different flavor today. So uh, that's how we're going to do that. Hope you're okay with it. If you're not, eh, sorry. <laughs> Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw a star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be a shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time and star had appeared. 
He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. The main point for today, and it's the only point for today, so we're going to continue to repeat it, is this. God exceeds expectations in difficult times. God exceeds expectations in difficult times. We're concluding the series, Great Expectations, but with this thought. God exceeds expectations in difficult times. If there is anything that is the Christmas story, it is a difficult time. You have an unwed teenage mom, difficult. You have a stepdad who doesn't know if he wants to be the dad of this baby, difficult time. You have a King Herod who's crazy and likes to kill his own sons and then starts doing mass genocide. We're going to talk about that later. That's a difficult time. You have a baby being born in a barn. That's a difficult time. You have all kinds of different things going. These are difficult times. One of the first things I want to point out to you that's difficult is King Herod doesn't know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. Why is that important? You have the leader of the Jewish people not knowing the scriptures well enough to know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. This is a problem. Think about that for a second. This is the person who's supposed to be leading the country underneath Roman rule. And he doesn't know the scriptures. He, he has no idea. And so who does he, he asks the Magi, some foreigners, some people from a, far, from a thousand miles away know the scriptures better than he knows the scriptures. This is weird. People who don't even follow the same religion as him know the scriptures better than he knows the scripture. You see the problem with this. That's difficult thing number one. Now we talked about the, the Magi a little bit uh, last week. I want to kind of just rehash that if you weren't here last week because this is so important. We're going to continue in, cha- in verse 9 of, of Matthew 2. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen and rose and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And when coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts of gold and a frankincense and a myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is amazing to think about. This is basically an envoy of priests from probably a different religion. The, the religion's probably Zoroastrianism, but we don't really know. So it's this different kind of religion that comes out of Persia. But these magi, these high up kind of religious figures, are coming to worship Jesus. They're coming to crown him a king. Why? Glad you asked. They're coming because this is, there's this history with the Babylonian Empire and the Jewish people. 500 years prior to Jesus being born, the Babylonian Empire comes over and destroys Jerusalem. They destroy the whole religious structure of the Hebrew people. It is demolished. It is gone. The temple is destroyed. This is an apocalyptic event for the Jewish people. So disheartening is it that they don't really understand if they're God's chosen people anymore. They feel like the relationship with God has been severed. There is a hopelessness and a we don't know who we are anymore pervading for 500 years in the Jewish people. Do you you understand? This is just a ripping out of their soul. 
and it has just decimated their whole idea of who they are and who where they place in God's plan for their, those people. They've always been the chosen people from Abraham onward. They've always had a plan. They've always had the promised land. They've always had a, a place and a promise for them. And now they don't know if that's true anymore. Well, when the Babylonians come over, they take the best and brightest out of, out of uh, Israel and Judah and say, you know what, we're going to take you. And this is where the, some names that you might know, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come from. And they come from the, that time. They are young men, young teenage boys who have been stripped from their families and taken as slaves into the king's household. And what he wants to do is take their best and brightest uh, and make them into advisors to the king. And so this continues on and continues on. Well, Daniel, over the time period, 80 years of his life, he earns the respect of the Babylonian and Persian Empire. And he becomes third in command of everyone in the whole stinking empire. This is a big deal. So this slave boy from a conquered country in Jerusalem becomes third in power of the huge Babylonian and Persian Empire. Through the respect of, of the different interactions and, and dreams that he interprets and also getting thrown into a lion's den and coming out not eaten. That was a big deal, uh, as you can imagine. Coming out there, the mag- he gets put in charge of the Magi and they respect him. Well, Daniel has all kinds of different prophecies if you read the back half of Daniel. And in some of those prophecies, he passes on to the Magi. And so this is why the Magi are actually looking for Jesus. Because hundreds of years ago, a man named Daniel, who was obedient to God in all things, jumped out of a lion's den alive, and they said, I want to know about that God. And so what's happening is God exceeds expectations in difficult times because God is reclaiming the Babylonian captivity. He's saying, you know what, this is a terrible time, but you know what, we'll still redeem and reclaim that. So this is hugely important that these magi are here. It represents a reclamation of the second worst time in all of Jewish history. God exceeds expectations in difficult times. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and the mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. So he got up and took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Now think about this. This is another really difficult time. You are Joseph, guys. You've just, your wife has just given birth to a son. And now you find out that the king is going to try to kill your kid. Runaway is a a viable option. Once his first act as the stepdad for the son of God is to run away. Do you feel like you, like, I'm not winning dad of the month club this year, right? He's not, you know, he's not, he's going, oh, my, I can't protect this kid. God, what are you, why am I in charge? I'm not powerful enough to protect him from, you know, a lion, whether or not, you know, King Herod, this powerful entity. And so he runs away to Egypt. I can't imagine this. He, Joseph, by tradition, is a carpenter. Think about that. Anybody that has a carpenter, even now today, you can't be a carpenter if you don't have what? Your tools. What is, Joseph did not put his workbench on the donkey you know, and walk down to Bethlehem. He's already without all of his tools 
And he probably is chomping at the bit to get back to Nazareth so he can actually start making money to provide for the Son of God. Right? You can, you can feel that Joseph was probably in need of a roll-aid at this time. And so he's thinking about this and, and going through all this. And I'm supposed to go to what? To Egypt. But God, my tools, they're, they're that way. And you want me to go that you, know, you can just feel the angst in Joseph as a dad. Who, you, know, you want me to do what? I have to go. Okay. Now, because there's something conspicuously missing from Israel. It's this thing called trees. Okay. So either Joseph is an, uh, an amazing craftsman because me, I'm terrible, but I have Home Depot. And so for a reasonable price, I can replace whatever I screw up, right? So if I cut a board wrong, I'm like, oh, I don't have a board stretcher yet. Paul, if you find one, will you hook me up? You cut it wrong, you just go get another board, you come back, you can do it over again. Trees are such a non-renewable resource in Israel that you, like, make a wrong cut. Well, we're going to cut away from everything else to make it smaller. All the furniture when you start out is, like, this big. But if he's a carpenter, he's probably, you know, even as much as a stonemason as he's a carpenter because you just support different thatches and, and bricks and stuff with a little bit of wood because you wouldn't want to use very much of it um, because it's such a desirable resource that there's, there's no trees around in the area. Does that, that make sense? So, but mud, you know, maybe, maybe Joseph can find mud in Egypt too. Right? I, can, I can build with mud, it's okay. So he goes to Egypt, he probably starts up another business does whatever. We don't know because the, the, the record goes silent at that time. But somehow, some way, he is providing for his family. Maybe they're just living off the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh because these are treasures. These are uber valuable, valuable resources. Um, maybe they're just kind of living off um, the investment of the Magi at this time. But God is exceeding expectations in difficult times because what's this last verse, 14? It is fulfillment of a prophecy out of Egypt... I, will, I called my son. Now, I was referencing to the 500 years of slavery that the Jewish people had in Egypt. This is referencing slavery. This is referencing the biggest action of God in the Old Testament. It is the reclamation of the people saying, you are now, we're slaves, now you are my people, and I will do everything I can to bring you out of bondage. And so here comes Jesus. He is still just a baby. And he has already redeemed the people from the Babylonian captivity, the second worst thing ever. Now, as a a two-year-old maybe, he's redeeming people, uh, the, the Hebrew people, from the worst thing out of Egypt, redeeming that whole story as well. He's also, where is he born? He's born in Bethlehem, the city of David. Why is that important? Because Herod is not of the house and the line of David. He's not a king that should be a king of Israel. What Jesus is doing, being born in Bethlehem, is saying, I am of the house and the line of the kingdom of David. I am redeeming all the kings who've screwed up and done stupid things and served wrong gods. I'm redeeming all of that. So this, this, it's just not by chance that he's born in Bethlehem. He is redeeming the house and line of David. The Magi are just not by chance being there. He is redeeming the Babylonian captivity. He's not by chance running away to Egypt and not Syria because he is redeeming the Egyptian slavery uh, Exodus whole 
thing there. Does this make sense? There's a whole lot in Matthew 2 that we probably haven't ever really paid attention to. When Herod realized this, that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem in the vicinity who were two years old and yonder, in accordance with the time he learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because there's no more. Because they are no more. So genocide happens. King Herod is so perturbed by this little kid. Now this sounds really weird, but you have to know King Herod as well. He killed his own kids so they wouldn't take the uh, throne away from him. He was insane. He's called Herod the Great. No Jewish person ever calls King Herod Herod the Great. That is a Roman moniker because he built a bunch of really interesting things. He is a bad man. And so, uh, but what he's also doing, and what the allusion here in the scripture is, back, it's a, it's a device, if you know your Exodus story, who else was supposed to be uh, killed because all the baby boys were supposed to be, a moratorium, a genocide was on them? The Jewish people with Moses. So here in Matthew, Matthew is writing this and saying, you, you see the similarities? Jesus is greater than even Moses, our greatest figure, our greatest, the greatest person ever to be a Jew. He is greater than that. And so this, this going back and forth, the Babylonian captivity, the baby thing, coming out of Exodus and, 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 um, and freeing the slaves, the redemption of the house and line of David. All this is happening right here. You see how that's setting up the rest of, of the, the gospel story. If you hear all that at the beginning and you're a Jewish person, you're like, whoa! Can you imagine your expectations. You have great expectations from all these difficult, difficult times. So it, the rest of the gospel book, if you, if you have that in mind, it's not a surprise to you when Jesus walks on water or does anything else. You're like, well, of course, he already did these huge miracles. He redeems, in, Luke, in Matthew chapter 2, he's redeeming the whole Old Testament in just a few short verses. He's telling the whole Old Testament story and condensing it down in just a few things that Jesus is doing as an infant. This is why it's not that big of a surprise when he does so much greater things as an adult. God exceeds expectations in difficult times. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, Take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. God exceeds expectations in difficult times. Where is Nazareth? Well, if Bethlehem was right past nowhere, Nazareth is its you know, sister city in the north of the town. It is nowhere in the mountains. Bethlehem is nowhere in the desert. It's nowhere town. There's nothing around it. There's no big city. You've got to travel for a while to get to the, Gal- to the Sea of Galilee. It's just... He is going nowhere to start this life to raise this child. This, as we start this year, as we start this week, 
I don't know about you, but this is always an interesting week for me. I try to reflect a lot on the last year and kind of dream about what I want in the new year. And maybe this past year has been difficult for you. Maybe you've had some difficult times, some difficult circumstances. I tell you all this in in Matthew 2 because God exceeds expectations in difficult times. He's done it for all the, the Jewish people and restored their history and their past. And he'll do it for us as well. Sometimes it's very difficult to see how God's doing that. But as we prepare ourselves for the next year, let's think, God, how are you going to how are you going to redeem this one? How can I participate in this story? Because over and over again, all in the scriptures, God's saying, "Okay, you guys have got these circumstances. Let's redeem that and make it better." Let's redeem that. Okay, I wouldn't have chosen that for you, but let's redeem that and make that better. In our lives, with our mess and our sin and our junk and all the garbage that we put in our lives, God is constantly saying, okay, I can redeem that. I can fix that. That's the whole point of Christmas. That is why Jesus comes to the earth, to take a group of people, to take the world that is headed down the wrong path and say, I'm going to offer a way for you to turn around and head in a better direction. That is what Christmas is about. God redeeming the world so that they can have life and have it abundantly. God wants to set you, he wants to set me, he wants to set all of us on a new path to redeem us, to set us free. Maybe at this time you felt like you're enslaved to your circumstances. Maybe you felt like there's just things out of your control that you don't know how you're going to get out of. Or people that are close to you, you just, I don't know how this gets any better. I want to urge you to bring that before God with reverence and with patience. God, how are you going to write this story? Can I be a part of it? I'm not promising any quick fixes. I'm not promising it to be better in a second. But what I would pray for for you in this new year is for perspective, to see God moving in your life, to see how he's redeeming your story and see the opportunities to reclaim it for his glory. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today and thank you for this time together. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the joy. Thank you for the wonder. God, thank you for being faithful through the years that as insignificant as this story sounds, that you have laced and placed importance at every turn. God, thank you for showing us the scriptures. Thank you that you are a faithful God, a God who does not give up on us, a God who has not left us, a God who has not forsaken us. God, I ask you to redeem us this, this day, to redeem me this day. Lord, as you see my messes, as you see all the things I've done wrong, Lord, I give them to you and say, can you make it better? Can you write a story with this? Lord, we love you and we place our lives in your hands. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.